Thank you for listening to this message from Waynesboro Free Methodist Church. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you along your journey. You should already be in Exodus 34, thanks to Luke's instruction. And we're wrapping up our sermon series called A Glimpse of Glory, right? And I, I want to backtrack. I want to start back at the beginning because I think if we connect what we've been doing to the purpose, then we're going to find out just how incredible this has been. We started out in this sermon series under the idea that if we are going to be made to look like Christ, our responsibility is to be put in positions where we see the glory of God, right? Because 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that as we behold the glory of God, we are being transformed into that same image of glory from one degree of glory to the next. So that was super vital for our understanding of how we become like Christ, of how we grow up in our understanding of who God is and how we become to look like Christ. We gotta look at the glory of God. And if that's the case, then where do we go from there? If it's true that I need to see God's glory in order to be transformed into that same glory, where do we start? And we started off with this simple question, and we're gonna read this together. One, two, three. Please show me your glory. We talked about how this is like the most important request that we could ever ask of God, right? We're asking God to allow us to experience the fullness of his glory so to the point where we are overwhelmingly satisfied with him alone, right? That, that, that nothing else would even come close. I mean, guys, there, I, I don't think that there's a higher question that we could ask of God, a higher request that we can make of God. In fact, I don't think there's anything that would delight God more for us to ask than for this. This is the greatest request that we could ever include in our prayer. And we can ask it with this great confidence that God desires for us to know him in his fullness. And so then we saw in verse 19, we saw Moses ask this in verse 18, and then verse 19, what does God do? He says, yep, you'll see my glory. Yeah, I'll, I'll show you my glory. And he talks about how he's gonna show him basically this, the beautiful perfections of God's sovereign character, right? That is what we are defining as God's glory. It's his nature, it's his being, it's all of that and how beautifully perfect it is. And yet we've gotta think about this for a second. In fact, we didn't really spend a lot of time talking about the context of this whole request or this exchange between Moses and God. But do you realize that the context of Moses coming up the mountain, asking God to stick with Israel, asking God to stay with them, asking God to show him his glory, the context of that was basically Moses came up that mountain reeking of the prideful treason of Israel because they had just bowed down to the golden calf while he was receiving the covenant from God. So he's up there, he comes down, they are treasonously worshiping and bowing down to another idol and God, Moses goes back up the mountain and he has the audacity to ask to see this. He has the boldness, maybe even the clarity. Guys, God being all that he is could have rightly said, no, nah, I don't owe you all a thing. You've already broke my covenant. I literally gave it to you and you were breaking it as I was giving it to you. I don't owe you guys a diddly squat. And yet, 
this God who is gloriously unseen decides to make himself seen. God amazingly responds in the context of treason. He responds with, yeah, Moses, I'll let you see my glory. I'll show you how beautifully perfect all my perfections really are. Guys, we don't deserve to see God's glory at all. Right? Nothing in us can merit to see God's glory, yet here we are, here it is, we see God's heart is to bring us in, to allow us to see because he loves us so much, so much so that he does all it takes to let us come in and see, including protecting us from his own holiness, which is where we went to right after that, right? We saw God say, hey, but Man cannot see me and live. And he provides all these instructions of what he's going to be doing. He says he's going to put Moses in the cleft of the rock and cover him with his hands. And as soon as God passes by, Moses, God will lift off his hand and Moses can see the back of God. All in all, we basically see that God is prophesying the need for Jesus and that God will make provision for us to see God's glory in Jesus Christ from safety. That's where we can go, the rock of ages. So we skipped on down a little bit to chapter 34, and, and we hear God preach his own glory. Most of what Moses wrote, wrote down, most of what he recorded, was it visible or was it audible? It was what he heard. He was more awestruck or felt it necessary to write most importantly, about the things that he heard about God, not just what he simply saw. And what did we hear? What did Moses record? Well, we talked about all sorts of things. First, we looked at how God is transcendent, meaning he's like way above us. He's the illest. There's nobody beside him. There's nobody who comes even close. He is far above. And then we also saw that God is imminent, meaning that he is willing in his transcendence, to come and be among us, to tabernacle, to set up home. And then we notice that God is self-existent, meaning he doesn't depend on anything else for his own existence, unlike everything else that exists. He is self-existent. He can, he can exist without the need of anything else. And then we also looked at how God is self-defining, meaning he can decide who he is, Nobody else gets to decide who he is. Unlike us, we've got all sorts of things that decide who we are. And we learn that God is unchanging, right? In his self-existence, and his self-definition, his transcendence and eminence, he is unchanging. There's nothing about him that ever varies or changes. There's no shadow, there's no turning. He is always the same from age to age. And then we get into God's mercy, the fact that God is merciful, meaning he confronts both our guilt and our misery. He doesn't just let us stay in them. We saw that God is gracious, meaning he both undeservedly pardons and empowers sinful people. And we saw that God is slow to anger. He is slow to anger, meaning he patiently endures and puts up with our sin. And he also unleashes his wrath against anything that would threaten his beloved. Like he's willing to get angry to protect us from the sin that would destroy us. 
And then we saw that God is abounding in steadfast or faithful love, meaning he has committed all of his affection to us unconditionally. And he always works for our good, which casts out all fear. And then we found out that God is forgiving. And we learned that that means that God is willing to carry the full load of all of our iniquity and transgression and sin. He's willing to carry it all on his own rather than leave us to carry the burden of it. And we also found out that God is just, meaning he knows perfectly what is right and what is wrong. And he always, always acts in perfect righteousness from generation to generation. And then last week, we kind of jumped around all the Bible and found out that God is triune. That he exists primarily as three in one, which we concluded meant that at the core of who God is, is loving, self-giving relationship. So this is our God, right? This is the nature of our God. And none are like him. This is his glory, both seen and heard, not by those who earn it or deserve it, but by the undeserving and the unworthy. So God brings us in and he lets us know him and experience him in the safety of his son, ultimately. That's in Jesus. So this is, this is kind of where we've been for the last 11 weeks. It's been a long haul. I thank you for enduring with me in this. But what's next? Where do we, where do we go from here? We, we, we've seen and we've heard the glory of God. So then what now? What, what should be the tone of our souls in response? In fact, how do we even respond to something like this? Because we've obviously seen how incredibly great our God is. How do we respond? Well, same way Moses did. Look at verses eight and nine. Moses immediately knelt low on the ground and worshiped. Then he said, my Lord, if I have indeed found favor with you, my Lord, please go with us. Even though this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our iniquity and our sin and accept us as your own possession. So what was Moses' response when he caught a glimpse of the glory of God? It was overwhelmed worship, both in a spiritual and a physical sense, right? God shows Moses who he is, and then the appropriate response is simply worship from Moses. So this morning, I've got one main truth and then three responses that we're gonna cover. One main truth and then three responses, and the first truth is simply to ask the question, so what came first ultimately? What came first? Was it Moses' worship or the experience of God's glory? Right? Knowing and experience God's glory in his character is what came first. In other words, theology comes before worship because theology then informs our worship. Theology, in other words, what we are convinced about who God is, theology being theosology, the idea that we are studying God, we are trying to know God or the word of God, 
Theology is the drive of worship. That's the main truth, real quick. Theology drives worship. Can we say that together? One, two, three. Theology drives worship. And I mean this in two main ways. Theology is the fuel that you put in the tank that motivates it, that generates it. Theology is what moves worship. But theology also is what steers it, right? It guides it because we're not gonna wander off onto this road that isn't actually true about our God. Theology keeps us on the right path of worship. So it motivates it and it steers it. Theology drives worship. And I think this is so important. It's, this is actually one of the most important things that I think we as a church need to really understand for us to understand really what it means to relate to God rightly. Because I mentioned last week, A.W. Tozer's book, The Knowledge of the Holy. Again, I would commend it to you again and again. The first thing that he said, I said this last week, the first thing that he said in that book is the most important thing about you is what you believe about God. The most important thing about you is what you believe about God. Now that's all I said last week, but we're, we're gonna go on a little bit further because one of the things that he said, why that's so important is for this reason. He says this, your worship will be as lofty or as base as your knowledge of God is. Your worship will be as accurate and high or as mundane and low as your knowledge of God is. So the less you've experienced God in his glory and come to know him, the less you will truly worship him. The more you have come to experience the fullness of God and treasure who he is, the more fervently and accurately you will worship him. Guys, I say this in love. God will not be worshiped by anything we do if we don't know anything about who he is. And I say this, poor theologians make poor worshipers. And I'm not asking you, I'm not saying that you've gotta go get your MDiv or your Masters of Theology from some seminary. No, no, you have enough right here. You can know God deeply and intimately. And you have enough right here to know God deeply and intimately through his people. Guys, Moses' worship here was lofty because he simply asked God, would you show me your glory? And God said yes. Because he experienced theology. He experienced who God is. So my my understanding is that sometimes you can, you can have this paradigm in a church where you have people on the far one side where it's deep relationship with God, intimacy and warmth, to the exclusion of deep theology and knowing God. It's almost seen as this paradigm where you can only be on one side or the other. You can't kind of be in the middle or you can't have both. Guys, I am absolutely convinced that I can't be intimate with anybody that I don't know. I can't have the warmth of intimate relationship with anybody that I don't know. So if I don't have good theology, then I really don't have true intimacy. On the flip side, if I don't have true intimacy, then I really don't understand who God is. Guys, we have to have both. We have to understand that theology is the foundation for intimacy and warmth with God. So theology 
drives worship. That's the main point. We've got three responses. How should our theology compel us to respond? How should what we know about God move us into what responses? And and I'm going to look at Moses' response, and we're going to break it up into three parts. There's three responses that Moses has here. There's a spiritual, a physical, and a prayerful. Spiritual, physical, and prayerful. So first, let's look at the spiritual response. Spiritual response. It says that he bowed down to the ground and worshiped. So, so does that mean that, that <laughs> according to maybe what we've defined as worship, does that mean that we, we, we bow down and we start singing Our God is an Awesome God by Michael W. Smith? Is that what that means? Mm, partly. Right? No, actually, worship is much more than that. Literally, if, we're, if, I, if we can get into the Hebrew just real quick, it says, Moses immediately bowed to the earth and bowed down. That's actually what worship means, to bow down, not just physically, but he bowed down to the earth physically, and then he bowed down internally, spiritually. There's a physical bowing down, and then there's a spiritual bowing down, meaning worship means to bow our souls in submission to the power and the authority and the worthiness of what we're bowing down to. And you know, that's actually quite appropriate because the word glory in the Hebrew, literally means weight. It means heaviness. So go, go figure that when we see the fullness of the weight of God's glory, everything about us is going to want to feel weighed down and heavy. Not in a negative sense, but it's pressing in and we can't avoid it. So this is also why God is so serious about his second commandment. You shall have no other idols before me. You shall not bow down to any other idols because that is worship. You are attributing the same affection and glory and worthiness to an idol that you are to God. So in Luke's video that he made, the last question is, so what am I worshiping? In other words, what are you bowing down to? What is it that you are bowing down to? What are you counting so much as worthy to say, all right, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get low and this is, this is how I'm gonna respond to whatever's idols in front of me. What is it that you're bowing down to? Why? Because what you're bowing down to is what you're worshiping and whatever you bow down to with your, with your heart, you bow down to with everything else. If I looked at your bank statements, credit card statements, if I looked at how you ran your schedule, I could tell you what you're bowing down to. I could tell you what you're worshiping. When we push further and further into knowing and experiencing all that God is, we will worship him. He will become the treasure of our hearts he is who we will bow down to, just like Moses does here, both spiritually and physically. 
Moses has a physical response. When he saw God's glory, he immediately got down and he worshiped. Guys, Tim Tebow wasn't the only one who invented this, right? He immediately got low. In fact, he probably got down on the ground and was just overwhelmed, saying, God, I'm not worthy to be here. I'm not worthy to see you. When he saw God's glory, he hit the deck. And Moses wasn't the only one who did that. John did it. Several people did it when they saw the glory of God. His posture spiritually overflows into a posture physically. He had a humble spirit, then he had a humble body. He bowed his heart and he bowed his body. Now, I'm pressing into an area that for some people, (laughs) they get really uncomfortable we're talking about physical response and worship. For another group of people, it's like, yeah, it's about time we livened up in this place. We got some movement going, maybe some dancing. Whatever we get going, we just do it, right? We got those different dynamics. Guys, regardless of how you feel, some of us just don't know what to do with this, right? So, I mean, do do we raise our hands? (laughs) I mean, do we do the full send or we just carry the widescreen? Do, do, we, do we bow down or do we kneel? What do, what do we do? If, if, if what I'm doing, am I distracting somebody else? I don't want to be a distraction. Or you know what's even worse? What will somebody else think about me? If I'm, like, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm in the middle of a song and, and the truths are just so overwhelming my heart that I'm down here and my next thought is, oh, am, am, is somebody going to think that I'm too much of a Jesus freak? Is somebody gonna think that I'm just too loony for Jesus? You know, that's actually the predominant thought that's in my mind. That's what keeps me from having physical response. And here's the truth that I need to learn and we all need to learn. True worship displays, not distracts. True worship displays. The physical response of your body is only meant to be a display of what's going on in your soul, spiritually. The only thing that I can connect this to is, have you ever been so high up, whether on a mountain or, or on, your, on your rooftop, and you kind of just get to the edge, and you look over, and you see like there's nothing between you and that ground, and that ground seems really far away, and you have this response of, I gotta grab something, right? I gotta, I gotta, okay, now I'm gonna get more careful, right? It's the same sense. We see this incredible view of God and we shudder. We have a physical response and we can't help it. Physical response in worship is so similar. You see so much of who God is that you can't help but humble everything about you or let everything connect with what you're seeing and believing. So I'm gonna start out with this idea. If your heart, if your soul is so disconnected and discontent, distant and prideful, apathetic to the truths that we're singing or hearing or praying through, then don't let your body have a physical response until God changes your soul. 
On the flip side, if your heart is overwhelmed with gratitude and humility, then bow down low. If, if your heart, if your soul is in desperation, just begging God to come and move in your life and move in a friend's life, then raise your hands like you're talking to your daddy and you need his help. If your heart is overjoyed with excitement about salvation or any kind of truth, then by all means, you better be dancing and shouting. Or if in your soul, you're in this place of just awe and wonder, and just let your body be still. Let your body display the posture of your heart. You see, our greatest problem is that we don't let worship overtake every part of us. We compartmentalize it in our lives and in our, in our attitudes and our behaviors. In other words, we've trained ourselves to only let our enjoyment of God remain an internal posture of the soul, and we fight to keep it there without letting it flow elsewhere. So that's one dangerous thing. On the flip side, there's another dangerous thing is to fake a physical response when your heart has nothing to do with what's going on around you. That's just as dangerous. So guys, this is why we are such unconvincing evangelists and such cold theologians. This is why too many of us are such good Sunday Christians and such terrible Monday Christians. But when we truly see God, when we truly enjoy him for who he is, we will bow down. And guys, honestly, I'm going to be frank. Just get, you better get used to it. <laughs> Bowing down and worshiping God, is that not literally the definition of the rest of eternity? Amen. Why not start now? Amen. For the rest of eternity, we are going to be standing before the King of glory, before the throne of our God, and we're going to be gazing upon his face in the fullness of it, and every knee will bow down, and every mouth will boldly declare the glory of our God and King, Christ Jesus, forever. So the question is, are you going to start doing that today, or are you going to wait till you're there? Amen. Are you going to do it in spirit and body now? Guys, I can't guilt trip you into this. But I can sincerely say this is how great our God is. Hallelujah. And hope that we catch the glimpse. Yes. And we have a physical response, we have a spiritual response. But I don't just want that, I want us to have a prayerful response. Because that's where Moses goes right after this. We see the spiritual, we see the physical, and then we see this prayerful response. Guys, Moses literally starts to pray after he's worshiped, after he's bowed down. He asks God for things that are based directly on the character that he just told him about. They're literally requests that are tied directly to what God just said he is. Look at, look at verse 19, or verse 9, sorry. Then Moses said, my Lord, 
If I have indeed found favor with you, my Lord, please go with us, even though this is a stiff-necked people. Forgive our iniquity and our sin and accept us as your own possession. Guys, he, he, he repeats, my Lord, twice. He's like, my Lord, my Lord, right, my master. He is saying that God is master creator over all. There's none like him. He's transcendent. And he says, if we've found favor with you, that's God's grace, right? He, he says, then, would you go with us? Guys, that's God's mercy and patience. He says, would you forgive us of our iniquity? He said, yeah, that's God's forgiveness. He says, would you accept us as your own possession? That is God's unconditional love that he abounds with. So guys, Moses has this prayerful response that's directly connected to the glory that he just saw and heard. Guys, so can't you see that theology deep understanding of who God is isn't just meant to be intellectual. It is meant to be responded to in soul, in body, and in engagement in relationship with God through prayer. That's how we respond to glory. That's how we respond when we see ultimately who God is and what he's done for us. And it's not just on Sunday mornings. This is everyday life. Do you realize that you can be changing the oil on your Toyota Sienna on a Saturday afternoon and hear the glory of God and respond in worship? That's literally what happened yesterday. I'm sitting underneath my Toyota, getting oil just splashed all over my face because, you know, I'm a pastor, not a mechanic. <laughs> and I'm listening to the radio and Revelation song comes on. And filled with wonder, awestruck wonder at the mention of your name, and I started bawling with oil all over my face. Luckily, I was already laying down. Guys, this doesn't just have to be contained to this, you can be sipping your coffee at a study in your own room and you can ask God, would you show me your glory? And you can turn to his word and God will say, hey, I've got something glorious here to show you. And he'll enlighten your eyes by his spirit and you can respond and worship in that moment. You can be out at a park with a friend talking about how Pastor Appreciation Month could look like. And while you're there with him, he engages somebody else and we can talk and we can see God move in incredible ways with this one man and we can respond and worship with that. Amen. This can happen every day. You are invited to see God's glory every day and respond in worship. And so with all of this said, Today is going to be set aside for just that. We've talked about the glory of God for two months now, I think. Maybe three. We've seen and heard a lot about who he is. Have you responded to it yet? 
Today is going to be specifically for that. Today, we are hoping that we don't have to manufacture any kind of facade of a response. We are hoping that you guys, we have seen the glory of God in such a way that we will have a spiritual, internal response, we will have a physical response, and we will have a prayerful response. So today, we're gonna have time for that. Today, we're gonna have time for us to engage with truth theologically as we sing it, as we pray it, We're gonna have an opportunity to bow down internally, but also physically as well. Guys, we've got this. We've got aisles. You've got your own seat. Will you let your worship overtake all of you? We're also gonna have a time where we're gonna pray. We're gonna engage with what we've heard about who God is and what he's done for us in prayer. So that's today. And that's why we're flipping things around. So I'm gonna pray for us and the worship team's gonna come up as as I pray. And and we're gonna start engaging with all of this, spiritually, physically, and prayerfully. And I'm gonna pray for us specifically some things that we were praying for last night, which was just an incredible time. We had the overflow event and it was such a blessing. I'm gonna pray some things in light of what we prayed through last night for us now. And then we're gonna respond. So let me pray. Father, Son, Spirit, God in Trinity, three in one. We thank you for all of the power that you've shown and demonstrated for us and towards us in the gospel. I thank you that you've saved us And in saving us, you invited us in to see just how incredible you are. And God, we believe that our chief aim is to make much of you, to praise you, to make much of your glory, to commend and cherish your glory. Amen. That is our purpose. It's the reason why we exist. So God, if that's going to be the case, then I believe that there, your word says that there are a few things that we need in order for us to be praising you all the day long. First, God, would you give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you? God, would you fill the space that is our hearts and our minds with your spirit? so that we might have wisdom, so that we might know you more deeply as you reveal yourself to us in your word. God, I pray that you would also enlighten the eyes of our hearts. God, would you help our eyes to see you and help our hearts to see how beautiful you are and how perfect you are in all your ways. Enlighten the eyes of our hearts so that we would know the riches of the glory of the inheritance that is waiting for us in glory, so that we would know the greatness of your power and all that you've done for us. So God, enlighten the eyes of our hearts and give us your spirit so that we might today respond to how beautiful and perfect you are. May we hold nothing back 
because you held nothing back. May we give all of us to you because you gave all of you to us in the cross of Christ where the pure, spotless lamb of God laid down his life so we could safely know you. We love you, God. Meet with us here now and help us to respond in worship. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We hope this message helps you multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit waynesboroughfm.com.